Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 179, I'm joined by April Sprints, the creator of the Generosity Culture and founder of Driven Outcomes. April is a business accelerator, speaker, and author of the Magic Blue Rocks book, The Secret to Doing Anything. It's a book about the life-changing impact of a winning mindset. As the creator of the Generosity Culture, April lives her dreams helping innovators and leaders grow their businesses through a combination of pouring into their people, their clients, and their community. April is a proud veteran, having served seven years in the United States Air Force as a television news anchor and executive producer. She's a graduate of University of Maryland and holds an MBA from the University of Texas. It is a great conversation, one in which I inspires your heart set for generosity. Here we go, episode 179 with April Sprints. April, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm very, very good. I'm very, very good. I've um, I've put out to my community that I was having someone on talking about creating generosity cultures. And I've said, what questions would you like me to ask? And I've got a handful of questions. So this one has provoked some curiosity, but I'd love to oh, know. I love it. Yeah, I'd love to know uh, before we get going. The legacy of Aunt Sue. Oh, yes. Well, she really is why there is a generosity culture. Mm. So when I was very young, nine years old, I came home one day from school, completely unexpected. And this regal, beautiful, very professional woman was in my home, which otherwise was a, a shambles. And it was because my mother had self-volunteered to go to rehab because she was having problems at work with alcohol. And Sue Harper was the head of human resources at her company who did something was pretty unprecedented at the time. The companies did help folks if they self-identified and, and paid for them to go to rehabilitation, which was fantastic. But an executive at a company going to the home to help make that transition was so uncommon. But she knew that my mom had a little girl. She'd seen me at company picnics and things like this. So this day that could have been so incredibly horrible for me and terrifying was made into this life-changing moment because this woman explained to me what was happening and positioned it in such a way, instead of saying, you're going to lose your mother for 30 days and who knows what's going to happen and all of this, she told me how brave my mother was and that my life was going to get better and even more so impactful to me. She said, I think you're special. I think you can do amazing things and I want to be your friend. And what was so incredibly impactful about that generous act from her was that she was the first really successful adult other than teachers I had ever met. So this woman saying that she thought I was special and could do amazing things when I knew I wanted to do things that most of the people in my sphere said wasn't possible, that was a 
game changer for me. And she did become my friend. She is still my friend. She's 90 years old now and we still talk and write letters. And she just became my first and most influential mentor because she was willing to give of her time. That's so powerful. I really, really love that story. And it's, it's really, I have a nine-year-old, you know, my son is nine. I, I can Corey, only, right? Yeah, Corey. Absolutely. I saw his podcast episode. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And, but I can only imagine, you know, him and having to experience that. And, and I think for me as a parent, if someone had at my workplace showed that level of human humanity and care and mm-hmm. compassion wow what what a legacy thank you for sharing that and and i guess you know you've had a you know someone embody what it means to be a, a generous disposition a generous heart set as i would call it and i guess how have you then taken this this role model and this spirit to them being something that you are centering around, not just a way of life, but also a way of, a way of business. Well, it's so interesting. So Sue also gave me my first opportunity in the corporate world. Mm. So I wanted to work in business when I was only 16 years old. And I came to Synthetic Industries and said, which was where she worked at the time and, and said, you know, would you be willing to hire me? I had my resume and all my things. And she said, I can't hire you because I don't have a position for you. And that would be creating one would be an abuse of my mm. role but I can give you two weeks as a temp to, you know, do work with different divisions and you can fill in for people on vacation. And and if you do it right, you can make a place for yourself. And what's so interesting is I knew just innately, because I guess it was Sue telling me when she said, do it right. I was like, you've got to help. You've got to help people as much as you can and, and do anything and everything you can to make things easier and better for others. So right at the beginning of my career and spoiler alert, I did end up earning a position there because Mm -hmm. I, I helped so many different people, which was fantastic that became my my go-to. I didn't have to know the most. I didn't have to have the, you know, the most skills or any of those things. I was just always seeking to help. And no matter what happened, it always ended up being the answer, whether it was when I was in the military or corporate America, when everyone else is like, we don't know what to do. And they'd ask me, I, without even realizing it was falling back on, well, we'll just give our time, we'll give our help. And it was always that mindset of generosity. Mm, I love that. And, you know, you just talked about going into business. And I understand that your first business was uh, Magic Blue Rocks. It it was at the age of six. (laughs) Tell us about the heart behind that story. So I found out when I was six years old from another student at school that I was poor. And it's so interesting when you're a child because you don't have an awareness of the uglier things in life. And so even though a lot of things had happened up until that point that would point to me being poor, I'd never really figured it out. Mm. And once he explained it to me, and not unkindly, he just logicked it out for me. It was a very bright kid. And I would, but I was so ashamed. I I still can remember that visceral hot feeling in my stomach and it up my neck from flushing into my face of just shame. Like this is a horrible thing to be. And I don't want to be this. 
and then thinking at the age of six, for whatever reason, that if if my mom could solve us not being poor, she would have done it already. So I wasn't going to bother her with it. I was just mm. going to figure it out. Mm. And I had an obsession at the time with the show, uh, the Jeffersons, because this man owned dry cleaners and moved from the ghetto to the penthouse apartment. And so I was like, this is how you do it. You, you start a business. <laughs> so I couldn't find anything in my house to start a business with other than a blue marker. But then I went outside while I was still thinking and I saw the gravel in my driveway. And I thought, if I color those rocks blue, they'll be special in a very childlike way, right? Where mm -hmm. just changing the color of an egg made it magical at Easter, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll just color it. And then I thought, you know, I can give this rock some magic so that anyone who has one can do anything they believe they can do. Because I felt like I could do that. I had this incredible confidence as a child, confidence that later I feel like I lost and had to regain. But I really believed I could put that magic in those rocks and then anyone who had them could do whatever they thought they could. And I also somehow innately knew only children would buy that. So I sold them at school. Mm -hmm. And now what was funny is all the kids bought them with their lunch money. And I, I priced them badly. Leftover lunch money was 20 cents. That would have been the excellent price point. It was my first business. We all make mistakes in our first business. <laughs> and so I did 25 cents because I was a big fan of quarters. And I thought, if the money adds up fast, that'll make me rich. So every kid in class pretty much charged their lunch. And that's something, I don't know if you have it in the UK, but in the US, at, at least at that time. And I think still, if kids didn't have lunch money, they could charge it and pay it later. When a whole class charges a lunch, teachers alerted and she found <laughs> out what I was doing and, and told my mom. So... Hey, my friends, thank you for being with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about our signature heart print coaching. Our heart print coaching is for you if you're ready to go all in on becoming a heart-centered leader, ready to go all in on doing more of what you love, ready to see what you are capable of with support, guidance and accountability. You're ready to go on a rapid transformational journey that would change your life and others in as little as three months. Are you ready to show up with courage and share your gift with the world? Ready to start making an income and more impact by doing what you love? Ready to start leaving your legacy where those around you are left better than yesterday? In our Heartprint Signature Coaching, in our time together, I'll help you lead from your heart set. I'll help you develop other people and your team. I'll help you bring your heart work to the world. I'll help you start leaving a legacy and capturing examples of your impact. I will help you be someone you love, to do more of what you love, and to serve people that you love. It's an amazing opportunity for someone who's ready to go all in and be a heart-centered leader. I'll throw in loads of other bonuses, including your life languages profile, uh, access to our Master Heart and Mind membership, and even some Always Better Than Yesterday merchandise. Head to abty.co.uk forward slash coaching to find out more, and I look forward to connecting with you very soon. That's abty.co.uk forward slash coaching. Here we go. Back to the interview. That's so that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing that story. And I, I just, yeah, you know, I think so much of, so the word I used earlier, heart set, I think so much of 
you know, our heart set and our disposition for serving and loving on other people is, is often formed, you know, through some of those painful experiences. And um, how did you then start to codify um, as a, you know, because I, I know that we live in a business world that's very intellectual, it's very driven on kind of strategy, tactics and ROI. How did you transmute that kind of heart set for generosity to one of an approach and a, and a methodology which uh, they could start to use? You know, it's funny. I think it is so simple that I almost feel guilty calling it a methodology yeah. because it really came down to, okay, if you pour into, and that's mm -hmm. what I, I see of Aunt Sue and other mentors I've had and, and what I've looked to do for people is to pour into them, to give them your time, to give them your care and help them be a better version of themselves. And I realized through different roles that I had in the corporate world and you know, working in divisions that were not profitable and then they became profitable. Okay, what did you do? And short version, I'd be like, well, I helped. But then I started thinking, okay, well, first I poured into the people. And when I poured into the people, I also modeled for them what we needed them to do, which was pour into our clients. And then as just a, a natural evolution, we were then also pouring into the community, whether it was local or global, it, it just depended on the, the business we were in and finding that there's such a symbiotic relationship. Some people are like, oh, well, that's just the right thing to do. And that's good. No, it's good business because usually within in, inside of a year and sometimes much faster than that, you start to see this tremendous increase in revenue, increase in customer satisfaction. Because you're working with your clients so closely, they often give you ideas for ways to expand your business. And it just became this incredible thing that I realized was a repeatable process. And that's what I, I take to folks and help them with. And it's not hard. They don't need me. They could do it just by doing those things. <laughs> and I, I hope that they do. Yeah. And uh, I was watching a few of your videos on YouTube and uh, it looks like we share a drink of choice, which is an old fashioned. Was that right? Oh, yes. Big fan. <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> what is it you like about an old fashioned? You know, I think it's, but I, I love bourbon. I'm a big bourbon person. And I think it's that there are these simple elements mm. that together make something that feels extraordinary. Mm, I'm with you on that. Cheers. Cheers to that. And um, you recently put uh, some of your stories in a book. I did. I did. I shared a video on LinkedIn originally, I think. And I had gone home to do a little bit of my backstory and video it. And so I went back to that house yeah. where I've made the magic blue rocks. And it was so incredible to see it and see how small it is. And I think it's really funny when you grow up a certain way, mm -hmm. it's just how you grew up. You don't really understand how it looks to other people. So mm -hmm. when I post it, posted it, I got this overwhelming response. And what I loved was the response from so many people was, that makes me feel like I can do anything. Because I see where you are now. I see where you came from. Anyone could do it. And I thought, yes, that's exactly it. Anyone could do it. And one of the folks who saw the video, uh, who does boxing promotion and is a very successful entrepreneur, in the direct sales industry said, April, you need to share those stories. You need to help people see how possible it is for them. 
by sharing what happened to you. And, you know, Ryan, I'm not smarter or more talented or I'm not well connected or any of those things that people think you have to be to accomplish your dreams. And if one person was able to go and then live the life that they wanted, because that book could be their aunt Sue, Mm. that was amazing for me. So I, it's a, a work of heart for sure. And I don't think that there's anything that I've done before that book that I put as much of my heart into. Mm, I love that. And uh, you and I are connected by uh, the wonderful Bob Berg. And I think, you know, one, yes. of the, one of the reasons I spent a lot of time around Bob and his um, Go-Giver Success Alliance was not to convince me to be a go-giver because his his words gave me the words I needed, you know, nearly 10 years ago to encourage the heart-centered leader that was already there. But right. the reason I got closer was to, un- to to be better at receiving. So I, giving has always been in yes. my life, but I, I've always been quite close to receiving. And, and mm-hmm. Pete, Peter, before I came on, he says, well, how do you, how do you help people um, overcome maybe some guilt or anxiety from benefiting from their generosity? Oh, I love this. Such a good question. Cause I'll, I'll tell you, Ryan, I struggled with the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. The, the giving and the helping was always easy. The re- receiving had to be learned. Mm-hmm. And what I realized and what I share with other people is what you're doing and the way that you impact people, however you do it is such a gift to them mm-hmm. that they want to give back to you and receiving that whether it is from that individual or another individual is a gift to them so as great as you feel when you help others wouldn't you want to facilitate other people getting to feel that way too and i think that having a giver of you receiving and a way to give again takes away that guilt and that maybe I don't deserve it because there are folks who feel like maybe they don't when absolutely they do. Mm. And viewing it through that lens seems to be helpful to a lot of folks. Yeah. I like that. You spent, uh, how long did you spend in the United States Air Force? Uh, Almost seven years. So seven years. How did you then leave a, um, an arms forces Mm-hmm. And then be drawn into the kind of business world. Because I my background is policing and then coming mm-hmm. into a corporate world. You know, you have different mentalities, you have different mm-hmm. perspectives and priorities. And you know, we're not there to make money in a in a in an armed service or a police force. And then you come out into the wide world and, and there are different priorities and different things. How how were you drawn into the world of of consulting in the way that you are? So do you mean that the consulting that I'm doing now or when I first went into just the corporate world from the military? Yeah, a bit of both, but bit of your path in general. So when I first got out of the service and I always knew I, I was going to do that as much as I loved the military and it was mm. a life-changing experience for me. The one thing that I found challenging about it is the whole age and time and rank thing to be able to do things. So if you're someone who likes to continuously grow and do bigger and better things, it can be challenging sometimes in my career field, exceptionally so, because you had to be at least this old to do more than what I'd done in in broadcasting. So that led me to getting out. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it's funny from a young age, I wanted to do a bunch of different careers. And I, I really always wondered why you had to pick one. Mm. And after having my time in the military and then going into the corporate world, I realized you really don't have to. And I, so I, I spent time in the financial industry and then I went to a very successful startup, which we didn't know when I went that it was mm -hmm. going to be very successful, but that was very lucky. Yep. And I realized that I was doing the same thing in a bunch of different industries, which was helping people accelerate and build infrastructure and just be the best version of themselves or their company. And that naturally led to me consulting because I wanted to help more people and more companies and have more of an impact than I could within one single company. Mm. I love that. I, I know that the, um, the three levels that you uh, pour into, as you say, is all about people, clients, and community. And as I was... Mm -hmm as I was soaking that in, I really resonated to my time when I was a leader in the police and I got a really bad um, kickback when I took my team to a local farm. We did some team building at a local mm -hmm. farm where we would help them. Um, I can't remember what we did. We, we turned uh, loads of wooden pallets into some, um, into some flower beds where they could sort of plant things and, and we would help mm -hmm. out. Um, so it's a, for me, it was great to be able to do some service work in the community and build a team. It was like a win-win situation, right? Sure. And and I got a lot of stick from senior leaders saying, what was I doing wasting time doing that? You know, what bad use of time. What would your perspective on that be? Why might that have actually been a, a good thing for a team to go and do? So I'm going to answer your question in two ways. One is going to be to reference a movie that I just saw that I thought was amazing. Top Gun Maverick could not have been better. Have you seen it? I haven't yet. You've got to go see it. I, I was shocked at how good it was. So, but it's really interesting. So they're, they're doing this, you know, do or die mission and he's got to build a team and, you know, they're flying and it's impossible and all of the things. And one day he takes these fighter pilots to the beach and has them play beach football. And his senior leader came and said, we've got to do this mission. They're supposed to be training. What are you doing? And he lays back in his beach chair in his super cool way because he's Tom Cruise. And he says, you told me to build a team. Yes. I'm building a team. Yes. And he points over to them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can say it much better than that. So my second thing would be that what I find with leaders who grew up in a different generation is that people didn't pour into them the same way unless they were very fortunate and very lucky. Mm. So what can be very important is helping them understand the metrics or the bottom line of why it makes sense mm. because it is not a natural leap for them. And one of the things that I think we can all fall into the trap of is expecting that the way that we were treated is the way that we should treat others. And it, it really isn't. We can learn and grow and be better just like you would as a parent. Mm. Do you find that come a mentality expectation being like a, a barrier to the generosity culture? And if so, what are some of the other barriers that you might uh, hear from time to time? So it does sometimes. It, 
especially in an industry where people have grown up being badly treated and that's almost a badge of honor that, you know, if, if you're not badly treated, you won't be good at it in the end. Mm. And just helping yep. them understand, eh, you'll actually be better at it faster. You know, it sounds weird. Yeah. And at that point, I have to share metrics. I have to share yeah. other people in other industries who've done it and, you know, just give them a little bit of that warm fuzzy that this isn't just, you know, soft skills and this mm. nice lady who's saying this is how you do it. And the other barrier is that when I say generosity culture, people tend to grab their wallets. They want to know how much money this is going to cost them. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't cost money. It costs time. So it's actually much more valuable. Yeah. And it is getting the leaders who most want their company and team to embody this, to understand that the only way to truly do that is for them to embody it and model it. And it comes from the top down. Yeah. You know, I love what you said about that, that cost is time and it's that, intention behind spending time with with um with with our team with our people and you know mm -hmm. I, i've always valued getting to know the human behind the team member you know their hopes their dreams mm -hmm. their fears and uh, there's a wonderful example that you share from a company on your one of your youtube videos do you mind sharing that one uh, sure. If you give me a little more information on which one it is, <laughs> it's, it's when you it's when you have a, a, a talk with someone in a I think it was a digital company, and you realize mm -hmm. that they have a skill set that the company didn't even realize that. They oh, had. absolutely. So, and the reason I say that is because I do it in every single company I go into. So I have so many of these stories. This was pretty remarkable. So I go in and then one of the first things I do is have those conversations with people. And it's one of the things that I encourage others to do is this is how you pour into people. You talk to them about things that aren't their deliverables, aren't their job, aren't yeah. what you need for them. Who are they? Mm. You know, once they know that you care about them as a person, you have a different relationship. And oh, by the way, you now understand so much more about how to empower them and motivate them and all those things. So in having this conversation with a person who was in a low-level role. It was a, an accounting role. I realized that she had accepted the role because she just wanted to get into the company mm -hmm. and she was overqualified. And beyond that, she knew more about the way the company operated than the CEO did. And it didn't take long talking with her to realize what an asset she was. Yeah. And in a move that I was surprised and excited they supported, I took her from being in accounting to being the director of operations. Mm -hmm. And the results were unprecedented. Their revenues grew an additional 50% over what they had projected year over year, which was pretty phenomenal. And I can directly attribute that growth to her moving where she was so much more able to help in every instance of what the company needed. And I tell folks that when you do pour into your people, you find these hidden gems and they're in every company, people who are not being fully, you know, empowered and utilized in the best ways who don't necessarily speak up. And, you know, you have those people who are like, you need to put me here and I need to do this. But you have these other amazing rock stars that you don't even know about who will never raise their hand. You've got to go find them. Yeah, I love that. Time, time and intention and a, and a willingness and a want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and a belief 
that that is time invested, not yeah. wasted. Yeah. Because mm. people say they don't have time to do it. And I counter with, you don't have time not to. Mm-hmm. This is where that will pay off. And I, I think this is a shift in focus, isn't it? Because a, a lot of uh, legacy leadership is is one of serve me rather than how can I serve you? Uh, mm-hmm. How can I dedicate my time and attention to you within mm-hmm. the team so I can best uh, create an environment for you to give of your best whilst you're with us? Um, so, so I think people are coming around to the idea of servant leadership, but mm-hmm. you then go a step further and, and, and have the same posture of heart towards clients. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that and how that might look and sound. So to me, that's the biggest differentiator that we have, because unless you have some brand new technology that's patented, no one is that special in what they do for that long. Hmm. So the most special thing you can be is someone who provides something I really need and really and truly cares about me beyond the dollars that I exchange for the service that you have. Mm. So when you're really taking care of clients that way, it's so interesting because you can easily deepen relationships with them and do even more business with them because you become such a partner and they become just an evangelist for what you do. I've literally seen companies be able to have less folks doing outbound sales because they have so many inbound leads based on current client experiences and it cannot be valued more. And especially when you think of things like you think of COVID and what just happened with the markets in general. And when it came time, because perhaps there was a a revenue issue and you're deciding which of your vendors you're going to pay and which are the ones you're not, Think of how impactful that is in a situation like that, mm. where they really value you. So you're working together on how do we figure this out? And I think that there's nothing that you could do for your clients that would be more impactful than have them know you are on their side. And oh, by the way, they will tell you in a kind way the things that are wrong with what you're doing or how mm-hmm. they could be mm-hmm. better. And the innovation and ideas that come from that are unreal because they are your customer, but they're just far enough removed from the way you see what you're doing or what you're producing to give you the best feedback of anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so powerful, isn't it? Because that stuff's happening anyway, you know, with that, that, Mm -hmm. that opportunity for improvement is always there. It's just whether we get that ripple effect back to say, Hey, did you know? (laughs) Yeah, I um, I often get brought into organisations where there is someone that is almost my sponsor. It's like they believe in the type of leadership mm-hmm. we believe, but they need help scaling that by creating sure. a culture of mm-hmm. heart-centered leadership, a generosity culture. How how might you help a leader create a culture of generosity? So again, it it comes down to the modeling of it, to embodying it, and to bringing in folks who it resonates with. Because what's interesting, and I'd love to know if this happens to you, Ryan, I have folks in companies who run absolutely towards it. And then there will always be one or two who run the other way, 
right? They're just like, this is not for me. I don't fit. And I consider that a blessing because one, I want that person to go where they do feel like they fit. I want them to be successful. Two, sometimes getting that person with that attitude and that mindset out of a company is possibly the most beneficial thing I've done for them because that allows that entire team with a different way of viewing the world to gel together in a different way. That's powerful. You made me think I was being introduced to a team from by the, by my sponsor. And there was a, there was probably about 20 of people on this call and mm-hmm. um, the sponsor said, team, what do you think about the work that I've got Ryan in to do? And, and it just went silent. <laughs> and, this, and this one brave guy popped up and goes, well, it remains to be seen whether Ryan's any good at his job or not. <laughs> I guess I guess time will tell. I thought, OK. <laughs> I love that, though, because yeah. I love that he said what most people are probably thinking. Yeah. So what did you how did you respond to that? Well, everything within me, this small child within me was like, it felt like I needed to justify everything. Like, oh, but I didn't. I did quite the opposite. I kept calm, kept myself. And I just thought, right, now's not the time for talking. Let's, like you say, embody it. So I spent the next six months embodying everything I was there to do. And by the end of it, he became one of my biggest advocates because I had <laughs> I revealed to him, luckily on this occasion, that I actually was okay at my job. <laughs> I built trust with I built trust and and actually what I did which was really smart was I I I asked a lot of people as I interviewed them who's who's the most who are some of the most influential people in this organization and little did I know that they referred to this person as one of the most influential people in the room so took the time I love that I, I poured into building a relationship with them seeking their advice seeking you know not going in like an expert I think nobody wants like people coming in make like here's a consultant right no like I think a great consultant is exactly what you said is you you go in and you ask more questions than you give answers right mm-hmm. 100% well and I like that person because there there's that person in in every group and yeah. all they're doing is voicing yeah. what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. And if if they don't say it, if I don't have someone like that, which I actually love having someone like that, then I will say, I'm giving you a lot of words. I don't expect you to trust any of this. Yeah, I would ask yeah, you to yeah. watch my actions. And at the moment this resonates with you, I would mm-hmm. like you to tell me. And at the moment, you don't think this is going to work at all after experiencing it. I encourage you to call me out because if this isn't important and impactful for you, hmm. then I've wasted our time. Yeah, I love that. Permission. We're giving people permission. Yeah, because it's okay if you don't think this is going to work for you. Maybe I can improve and get better. And not maybe. I mean, we always can. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe this will be the impetus for me to get better at what I do. I, I see feedback as the gift that keeps on giving. Mm. So go for it. And when you don't like me or we have a problem, if we step into that and handle it well, we, like you and that gentleman, are in a better place when it's done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we then get back to and then we get to reflect back on the initial bit and go, oh, look how far we've come. Right. And, and those people, to your point, the skeptics are also the like most excited and evangelistic mm. 
people about it. Once you convince them, they'll convince everyone else. Yeah, so powerful, isn't it? So we've got to this point where it's not about being um, working harder. It's not about working smarter. What is it all about? You know, it is about working in a way that is to the greatest good of everyone. Mm. And it's really funny because I, I tried to outwork people early in my career, even when I was helping. I was like, that is my differentiator. I'll just work harder than everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I have come to realize in the, the last, say, five to seven years is that when we are all working together towards a common goal, we're so much more powerful. And you, the work that you do, Ryan, making it a heart-centered workplace, that rallies people in a way that performance bonuses and, you know, espresso machines and any of the things that people think make a culture <laughs> can't do. They can't touch it. Mm, powerful, isn't it? It's really, really powerful. What does the phrase always better than yesterday speak to you? So to me, it really says that we are always growing. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe when you stop growing, that's when you die. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I think that you keep growing up until the point that you're like, well, I can't grow anymore. So I'm going to die. So for me, being better than yesterday in some way, every day is always the goal. And it's so much fun because I long ago quit competing against other people because that's a loser's game, right? Like you just lose more often than you win. It's no fun because it's your whole messy life. It's their highlight reel. Like it's, it's not a good game, oh. but competing against you yesterday in how can I be a little better? I think promotes the consistency that makes super impactful results in your life. Mm, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's very true. April, thank you so much for all that you do in the world. Thank you so much for your time and, yes. and spending it here. Can with I ask us. you one question? Please do. I have one question for you because I'm so curious. Yes. So I saw a countdown on your website that you're counting down to five years, and I think it's in like 20 something days. What is this? I want to know. It's, I'm, I got excited. So on the 25th of June here in the UK. Oh, wow, the synchronicity. So on the 25th of June, I'm hosting an event here in the UK to celebrate our um, community turning five. So oh. five years ago, I coached a human being for the very first time under the banner of Always Better Than Yesterday. And it has been my... It has been my act of love, of devotion, of discipline, of all things in between of which I know you know all the highs, all the lows for the last five years. So we uh, we have a, a huge online community presence, but um, I'm really excited to bring people together in a real human existence uh, for one night only um, and many more to come in the future, I hope. Oh, that's so cool. Well, congratulations. I'm gonna have to check it out. Can can I um can I invite myself? Yes, hundred percent. Hundred percent. It'd be amazing. Honestly, there are so many I've got so many great friends in America and uh I just hope one day I'll be stateside and, and bring all all of my American friends together there too. It'd be uh, it'd be so good to just I just realized that um, it's such a gift to connect good people with good people. Like long are the days yes. gone where I felt like I need to be the community leader, I need to be out the front, I need to be the one. Like I've just realized that a big part of my gift is the people I can connect you with. 
And that's a beautiful thing because good people, knowing good people, going back to what you said with Bob and and the Go-Giver and the Success Alliance, Mm -hmm. I just love that a group of like-minded people like that exist. It's it's why I just invited myself to your party because I'm pretty sure that's the same thing. (laughs) You were already invited. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You were already invited. April, I'll share all your links in in our show notes. I'd be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. You know, my final thought is that whatever occurs to you as an individual, whatever your dream is, no matter how big it is, no matter how crazy it seems to other people who are not you, it occurs to you because it is 100% possible for you. So if you focus more on the what of the dream than the how, life will lead you there and you will be astounded by the opportunities that come your way. Mm, I hear that loud and clear. April, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organization, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.